Welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to the latest PR Moment podcast with me, Ben Smith. Today on the show, we're chatting with Fran Ashcroft, who's Senior Director of Amir Communications at Intel. Fran's worked for Intel for nearly 15 years and is currently preparing excitingly for a, an eight-week sabbatical, which no doubt we will chat about. Um, but we're also going to chat about her 15 years in-house um, at the firm, and we're going to cover what international, modern international communications looks like, um, how the in-house side has changed, um, and, and what a modern agency partnership looks like as well. Before we start, um, I'm, I'm plugging it every week at the moment, but um, do forgive me. Um, do have a look at the Creative Moment Awards website. The early entry deadline is the 26th of May. So that's creeping up, isn't it? Um, you got to, I think, the end of June for the final deadline. So bear that in mind. Um, and I should thank our loyal PR Moment podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Fran, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Lovely to be here. An absolute pleasure. So go on, forget, we'll forget the work stuff. You're off on a sabbatical. How long for and where are you going? Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm off. Uh, I'm going to be out for eight weeks in total. Six weeks of that is going to be spent uh, in southern Spain with nothing but a ton of books, <clears throat> a swimming pool, the dog and the husband and a variety of uh, older children coming in and out. Right. Uh, and then the last two weeks is just getting my daughter hopefully into uni in September. Right. Can't wait. And we sort of jest, don't we? But it's, how long is it since you've had eight weeks off work? Oh, gosh, what a question. Um, I don't think I've ever had eight weeks off work. I not, haven't. Not. I haven't. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be weird. Ever. Yeah, ever. Are ever. you sure you're going to want to come back? Well, it's one of the fantastic benefits that we get at Intel. So we, we are able to take a certain number of weeks every five years, uh, depending on which part of the world you're in. Uh, but specifically for Europe, we uh, we have to bank a certain number of paid holidays a year. And then after five years, you get to combine them all together on top of your existing uh, holiday allowance to extend it. So, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I can't well, wait. I have can't a lovely wait. Have a lovely time. And as I always say to anyone who's, who's um, going on a sabbatical, don't go anywhere near HR for at least six months after you come back. Now, <laughs> um, go on. So moving on, um, I think we chatted before and you said in our pre-show chat, 120,000 people work for Intel globally, which it just yeah. I can't even, that's just bonkers to me. Um, how, where do you start? The role of a comms person at an organisation of that size I mean, clearly it's doable because people do it, but it's it's must be at times there's so much to go at, isn't there? There is so much to go at. We are such a huge company uh, that the importance of, of being able to communicate with all of our audiences, that whether internal or external, is fundamental to success. You can't have uh, external news without um, obviously telling the talent in, internally first. There's no such thing as local news either. So that consistency in the news that we're telling and the stories that we're telling is absolutely critical. And so it's interesting how you, you phrase that reply. You do try and communicate with all your stakeholders. You don't you, you don't just go, oh, that's, I just can't do that no. right now. You, you do no. really try and, 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 we, and engage and communicate. All of the time? Is that is that what you're saying? That's your objective? All of, all of the time. So we manage all communications um, across the business. 
whether that's uh, employee comms, employer brand, um, whether that's executive communications, whether that's uh, media relations, analyst relations, uh, stakeholder management across all audiences, absolutely critical. And let's just think about that for a moment. So you've got, I don't know how many products you have. I won't attempt, I won't, I won't put you on the spot and ask you to name them, how many, but it's a Please lot, don't. right? No, it's a <laughs> oh, lot. Yeah. You've got a lot of products. Yes. You're yeah. a global organisation. Um, you've got 120,000 employees. You've got loads of customers. You've got loads of governments you've got to talk to. You've got loads of um, uh, people within society that, that need to, to know about Intel and, and, and like Intel and all the rest of it. So, yeah, just I heard what you said, but that that question is that that do you attempt. How do you map it? How do you you the strategy have to map the content? It. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a yeah. body of work, a massive body of work just before we've even got on to actually doing anything, isn't it? It's a massive, massive body of work. And we scenario plan everything for good, for bad. So we we intentionally dig in and, and use every single moment and critical launch because we can't PR everything, right? To your point, we are so big that we can't PR everything. So we have to focus, we have to focus our, our energy around what is going to make the, the biggest moment, right? And what we're finding is that pre in previous years, we were very good at talking about anybody's widget, frankly. Uh, corporate news was, was inconsistent and the story would show up differently depending on what part of the world you were in. So we have to focus. We have to make music, not noise. Okay. So we've moved away from like having aggregated uh, news moments in different parts of the world to coming together to to show impact for one major moment. And the data shows us that that we have more impact that by doing it that way than any other any other. It's music, not noise, ultimately. So so you choose your moments. And, and respond to moments, I guess, because that's that's life, right? Do you do you have a responsive strategy and a proactive strategy? Do you have to do you have teams that do each, or, or do you try and bring it all together? No, we bring it all together. Yeah. So depending on the moment, uh, you know, depending on what we're trying to drive, what story we're trying to drive, we will be extremely proactive, but we also have to be ready for reactive as well. And obviously, we none of us comment on uh, speculation or rumors, but we're also managing that in the background too. Um, we also have to manage leaks, right? That's the other key point of, of being 360 because anything that you put out internally with this number of employees, there's always a possibility that something like this leaks. So maintaining that, that close strategic view of what we're trying to drive, what outcome are we trying to, to, to get to versus just doing a bit of PR is absolutely fundamental. And I, I want to talk about the strategic element in a minute because I think PR's had a, a a good run on that, and that'd be really interesting to talk about. But just your your pre your Amir now previously you were international. Just give yeah. us a little insight into the globalization of public relations, of campaigns, of messaging versus the localization of it, because it's it's you know it's like. Uh, it's like for, for anyone in the UK, it's like painting the Humber Bridge, right? You can never stop, presumably. It's one of those jobs that I would hate, but presumably you've quite enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, so I moved uh, back into comms within Intel uh, about seven years ago. Um, and we went, at that time, we were very much positioned as PR, um, in that PR was the only thing that, that we did or 
essentially and it was very traditional so when, when you say pr in that are you talking are you centering on media relations element of pr is that what you mean essentially that, yeah essentially media and, uh, and analysts right um and even our analyst piece was was fairly inconsistent so seven years ago we went through a modernization uh, of the entire group um we looked to be more innovative in the way that we talk to our audiences we you know we began to realize the importance of our corporate communications being consistent at the global level versus just our product problems because we're very very good at product launches and uh, product reviews and technology leadership um, we weren't telling that bigger bigger global story um, and pre-covid uh, you know i was looking after uh, i was overseeing EMEA but also i i had the asia pacific japan region i also had china um, that in itself is is a unique area and i also had latin america um, <clears throat> and it was challenging right pre-covid i was on a plane often um, I did thousands and thousands of miles. If I wasn't in HQ, then I would be in Mexico. If I wasn't in Mexico, I was in Beijing. If I wasn't in Beijing, I'd be in Singapore. Uh, if I wasn't in Singapore, I'd be in Munich, uh, where we have a, a big hub. So uh, yeah, it was it was super challenging. And with the onset of COVID, with you know travel stopping, um, it, it 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 was difficult not seeing folks in person. But at the same time, we've we had always had to work virtually. You know, it's not easy to kind of, to your point, manage this this huge team of people <clears throat> without speaking to them consistently. So, do I miss that uh, a little bit? Not really. I I, I miss the people, um, but I moved back to to, to double down on uh, the European market ultimately around the same time that we did a major announcement of, of, an, of our EU investment for manufacturing uh, about a year ago. Um, so I'm going about at the moment actually strengthening the team, uh, increasing the connections that, that, that we have uh, in our major markets in Europe, Middle East and Africa, in partnership with our uh, with WE, who are our globally networked agency, but also with uh, some boutique agencies as well uh, within the region. So yeah, it was hard understanding the culture, understanding, you know, it's it's like situational leadership. You you, you depending on who you're speaking to um, within a country, you have to understand that person, but also the culture piece that come comes with them. You know, uh, dealing with with my wonderful team in in China, who I miss greatly. I'm still connected to, but I uh, I miss them. It is very, very different than if I'm talking to uh, uh, somebody in Japan, which is, again, very, very different if I'm talking to somebody in Australia or London. Right. So I, I miss I miss the people because I don't speak to them. And obviously, we've not seen each other for a long, long time. In fact, this week uh, was the I, I pulled my uh, Middle Eastern Africa European team uh, into Windsor this week. And that's the first time that we've all been together in person and together with the agency in more than three and a half years. And it was just phenomenal. It was just energizing. You know, there's a, we have new people on the team that had never met. It was bizarre seeing people in 3D, to like like putting faces to legs. I quite often meet people and I, I think I've met them, but they say, no, Ben, I haven't. I, we've never met other than on Zoom. And you go, really? And it is, it is a funny thing. So I just yeah, what is that mix? And listen, we could do a we could do a, a, a thesis on on the, the role of of the international communications role. So I, I'll keep it to a couple of paragraphs. But what is the mix between I suppose leadership, coordination, 
strategy you know because it's it's a big role and it encompasses quite a few different things yeah uh, the, the the main reason for creating the role in the first place was and i mentioned this earlier is that depending on where you were in the world and we are in 130 countries around the world depending on where you were i would often hear that oh no fran we can't do it like that here because intel is different in name a country it's different in india or it's different in ireland or it's different in israel and it became very clear very quickly that that nobody knew how to tell the Intel story. We didn't, our, our corporate narrative was inconsistent depending on where you were in the world. And that was probably our biggest challenge. So we went about and, and this kind of coincided with, with when pa, uh, Pat Gelsinger came on as our new CEO. Um, our ability to be an own thought leadership and thought leadership in the semiconductor and silicon space was critical that we told a globally globally consistent story, but brought through those local proof points for relevancy. So, and, and we do that with our customers uh, or our partners in region where we're able to tell a story versus just keep pushing out news. And, and this, this became an international storytelling program that we affectionately call Supercharge, which is essentially supercharging our, our stories globally. And I continue to oversee this program to support that storytelling in, in I think we've covered 22 markets now for that. And that has helped us more than anything else in our data um, to ensure that we're not getting, you know, spokespeople that are saying things that they shouldn't be saying, which hopefully doesn't happen as much as it used to a few years back, um, but also provides guidance for the local spokespeople and the ability to showcase our customer stories as well. And that's hard, though, isn't it? Because you're you're basically trying to grab control and and implement rules. Um, there's yeah. a, there's more to it than that. But that that from the from the from the the people who used to go out and communicate as they saw fit um, probably don't necessarily warm to that initially, anyway. No, and and providing let's call them guardrails, um, and and we were quite dictatorial, frankly, in terms of managing who was a spokesperson moving forward because we had lots of people i'm sure it's like this in any company right uh you get a phone call from somebody in the field or or, or wherever within the business so my manager says that uh, i need to uh, i need for career development i need to do media training um and we had a lot of folks on a on a very inconsistent list that frankly had 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 done media training as a tick box exercise for their career growth, but never actually been used as a media spokesperson. Because the minute you say, okay, so this is your speciality, we need you to come and talk to the Wall Street Journal or whatever, um, they would they were like, oh no, no, no I can't do that. They'd, they'd run so a the mile. investment in time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, like like many do. But so so now we have a very tight, uh, tight-knit um list of, of folks that we know that we can lean on depending on the subject as well so we'll have our technologists depends obviously on the audience so we'll have our technologist storytellers we'll have our corporate storytellers at the business level um, and also the specialists um you know if we're talking about something yeah. within intel labs about but, quantum but, but, but that's just a little it. insight into a quite a small thing in the overall grand scheme of things well, yeah, um, and that takes you know that uh, you know there's a lot of it's it's a lot of detail in in that consistency strategy isn't there which um is not always a huge amount of fun um just you mentioned it before um 
communication is a strategic function. There you go, tripped over my words there. Um, you know, we, we that is that is an overused phrase, isn't it? These days, that's what we all that's what we all like to think we're doing. Um, what does that look like for a big organization like Intel? What does strategic communications mean in reality? Because it's a nice a nice phrase, but what does it actually mean? I think, uh, and you you mentioned this earlier, I think it, it's one of the key things that has come out of COVID because communications became absolutely critical when COVID hit, whether you're talking to your employees, whether you're talking to externally, whether you're helping your customers come forward with solutions, right? And because of that, we became the spearhead, comms became the spearhead of all company activity, right? And from, from an Intel perspective, you know, Communications has never been more respected as it is now. We've moved from like, oh, the PRT, bring the PRT because we need a bit of PR for this event, down to actually the story that we tell as a business, whether it's around our company transformation, whether it's about our business strategy, whether it's about the importance of, uh, of what we do from a technology piece to the world, ha has never been more respected. And, and everything that we do, we measure. Um, so, so having the data that supports our activity makes us more accountable for what we're doing versus here's a bit of coverage. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Well, that was always a frustration because so, PR, PR yeah. always did do quite well when it, from a contribution to, to whatever yeah. the objective might be, let's say sales, but whatever. Never, but never um, recognised for it. We could never, we could never prove it. And the truth is, I don't think no. we're particularly any worse at proving it or better than than most of the other areas of marketing. But there, there's another, there's another story. So the um, when you're thinking about this, so that's strategic. It's interesting. You think because I, I like to think anyway that the the trend towards PR and comms um, moving up the food chain was was happening a bit before COVID. But you reckon it was. COVID was critical. It was that moment, was it, that that uh, it brought it all together? I think it, from an Intel perspective, for sure. But you're right. Yeah, it was it was definitely gaining importance. Um, you know, uh, the, the science, the understand, like turning our craft into a science and people fully understanding about what it takes. You know, we just touched on, you, you know, ha having to think about and scenario plan for all those different audiences, for all those upcoming things. And then the unexpected things as well, being ready scenario planning for that as well, it, it, it is just can be overwhelming. You have to be organized. Every single person has to be accountable and understand what their role is, right? We, we, we at Intel, we work with uh, OKRs. So our, our objectives and key results and everything is planned out by quarter in terms of what we're trying to achieve. And from a comms perspective, it's all about telling that that um, overall story narrative, that arc um, in terms of where we get to. This is where we are today. This is what we want people to think about us next week and driving that belief. So, yeah, I think getting a seat and I, I report into um, our chief communications officer, um, uh, Tara Smith, and she she. She has a seat at the on uh, as part of Pat Gelsinger's extended staff. So she has a seat at the um, executive leadership team as well, because they too have realised how critical it is that if somebody somewhere says something and it explodes in the media, then that's that that's a problem. Um, so seeing us as not just as a strategic function, but also as a competitive advantage to the business uh, has also been like phenomenal to to, to watch how. The team's visibility has grown internally. So, outside of the comms team, who, who are the biggest cheerleaders for PR? Would you say within uh, within the organisation, who who are the been who are the people that that have, have sort of seen the light, so to speak? 
uh, I would say all of our executive leadership team, including our board of directors, um, as well as most of the sales folks, most of the sales folks are still getting their head around the fact that, you know, it's not just a bit of PR. They don't have to just, I need a press release. You know, we, we do very few third party press releases because the, return on investment that we get for it is, is is tiny, whereas we're trying to tell those deeper, more embedded uh, stories around why technology is good for the planet, right? So I'd say sales, marketing, we continue to, to, to partner with marketing, you know, that um, the, corporate narr- the corporate narrative and the brand have to come together for, uh, for a more powerful impact. Um, and whilst marketing continue to have the bigger bucks, right? In terms of paid media, the earned media is what that's like. It's third party um, recognition and support and belief um, in the stories that we're telling. So we'll have paid stories as well, but we'll often take earned stories and we'll put paid media behind it in terms of driving those stories outside. Right. Well, they complement each other, don't they? Is is the reality. Um, they have you have to work in partnership. You know, I can, I've done both. I've done marketing and comms, but we we operate as very separate functions, but we we collaborate closely, which is important, isn't it? Do you think if yeah. it, if they worked within the same function, it would be less effective? We used to. I think many companies have been like that, and there's still you know I still meet I, I still meet fellow comms people that are reporting into marketing. Uh, I think we have comms folks that were, you know vice versa when i was when i first joined intel um i was in sales and marketing and the comms folks in in the pr folks as they were then reported into me depending on what country you're in like so for the for the uk for example i had two pr folks and seven marketing folks i think nowadays the, the recognition and understanding uh, of of our craft has has changed that rapidly and in that we do very separate things are we stronger together probably depends on the leadership as well i think we we have a fantastic leader in tara and that she's very specific in terms of what she's what she's driving um so i i think it can work both ways but i think that there has to there has to be more respect for pr and comms um as a craft versus what folks are doing in marketing yeah i guess it depends on the objective the objective of the pr and comms is only to sell widgets then maybe yeah. maybe you can build a case that which i think is wrong to be fair but um you maybe you build a case that goes it's, it's within marketing but it's it's one of those isn't it you can it, it'll probably debate forever right that that one but um it's yeah absolutely it makes sense. and we it's you know separate. we 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 hardline if you like into the our chief commercial officer and we dot line into our ceo so there's kind of a balance uh, in terms of and, and we are we are like a very tiny part of of um of his team, but we are very much focused on that full left to right view of Intel versus just that um just the sales and marketing piece. Sure. Um, I, I, you sort of touched on it a bit there, but just I just want to delve a little bit deeper. Well, what does the business demand of, of the comms team? You know, and I'm, listen, that's a, a big question. So just just give us the highlights. You know, your your, your, your the, the various priorities that you have. Uh, it, what in, in terms of the the time, the objectives, I suppose. So you know, is it is it reputation? Is it impact on sales? Where where's your where are your okay, priorities? Yeah, okay, yeah. So so our our number one goal remains to protect and promote Intel's reputation, right? And to and to share our vision with the world. And our our, our, our corporate uh, Intel narrative is that we create world changing technology that improves the life of every person on the planet. 
And everything that we do underneath that within, whether it's a product, whether it's a moment, whether it's a solution, whether it's a software, whether it's a um, the launch of a, a, of a new factory, whether it's breaking ground, whatever, all, everything we do rolls up under that under that uh, vision, right? And, and, as a, and as a technology company, it includes everything, right? But it, 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 we, we have a manufacturing strategy at the minute, which is affectionately called IDM 2.0. And that lays out our plans to diversify the global supply chain, for example, by increasing manufacturing in Europe and the US outside of Asia. And it's imperative that, that we're keeping our customers, our partners, our governments, informed on that progress right and, and comms plays a crucial role in that in terms of ensuring that the messaging we've said before the messaging is is consistent at the global level and then being able to pull through those uh those local relevant proof points but i've you know i i've i've had a long career i'm very privileged to have had a long career in both uh in sales and marketing but the 15 years that I've been at Intel, I have never worked harder. I have never worked at such a pace uh, as, as we do at Intel. Um, we have to we have to remain really nimble. We have to swarm as well. So you know, roles and responsibilities are clear, but we're, we are we are swarming to where resources needed in that moment. Um, and, and that consistent messaging around our storytelling arc. It, is what's is what's critical and understanding our overall objective every day and how what we're doing ties up to the overall strategy is is key right we can't be everywhere so we have to focus so that's where our agency partners we and others help us scale and execute as well we have and we genuinely have a true hub and spoke kind of follow the sun model because as we all know news is 24 7. Cool. I was going to ask about something else, but just just touch on that hub and spoke model because it's something that is often referred to. But just just explain what you mean by that. What I mean is that in we can't be everywhere, right? I think we I think we're in. Uh, I have owned resource, if you like, in eight countries uh, in in the region, um, but we can't ignore some countries that are, for, especially from a technology perspective. Uh, influential in the media landscape. So that's where our agency partners will help us drive coverage, uh, also help us uh, improve media relations, understand new and upcoming forms of media as well, um, and enable us to tell that story to uh, to the greater good, uh, instead of just kind of being able to focus. So it gives us the scale that we have um, without committing like an office and a, a and a person within that country. Right. Um, you talked a bit before about you produce a, a, a quarterly um, scorecard for the comms team. Um, I'm sure quite a bit of that is confidential, but just give us a bit of an insight into to what, what sort of KPIs do you include in that? I think that's quite interesting to talk about. So ultimately what we're measuring there um, is uh, our reputation, our trust score, um, as well as our execution. So this is what this is what we said, and it might be uh, Pat Gelsinger or, or a senior exec in a public place saying that this is what we're committing to. It's that say do tracker, that say do ratio. So say do ratio. So this is what we said we do. This is what we did. This is what we didn't do. So that's your execution score on wins and misses. Um, and yeah, we use uh, we use a company called Talkwalker. Um, and we have very, uh, very complicated booleans 
uh, and use AI in terms of tracking that at the global levels. So we use the global scorecard. The global scorecard is then taken on a quarterly basis to the board of directors, um, as well as our executive leadership team. And then we we take a, 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 um, a regional cut as well for each of the regions to track how we're doing. So keeping that sentiment line ultimately flat versus crazy up and down um, is ultimately what we're trying to achieve. Right. But it's really interesting that it's mainly focused on reputation. Is the I'm, I'm sure there's other bits to it. Mainly focused on yeah on our on our on our reputation and trust. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and then you talked as well about being uh, I think you 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 described it as an outcome driven team. Um, yeah. I mean outcomes outcomes are really important. They can be hard harder to measure, can't they? What what sort of outcomes? I suppose bearing in mind what you just said about reputation being so important um, as one of your 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 primary objectives. What what sort of what is outcome what sort of outcomes do you do, do you tend to find you you come out with? So any any moment uh, any moment activity action that we're trying to drive, we will sit back uh, in the planning stage to think about what kind of headlines we're trying to drive, right? Because it's ultimately all about the headline, whether that's internal or ex- external. Um, so we we try and um, we try and think about that as like. At the first point, it's not just doing something for the sake of doing it. And I keep coming back to the, oh, we need a bit of PR. Or can you just can we just have a bit of PR? We now question, why do you need a bit of PR? What outcome are you trying to drive? And that also means that the teams are more accountable for their, their own investment, right? Whether that's time, time invested, whether that's dollars invested in terms of what we're trying to do. Um, and that that has also changed people the way that people work right I, I often find especially when I come into a newer team or I meet a newer team uh, when you're getting to know folks they'll start telling me that oh I'm so busy because I've had to attend these number of meetings and I've got this this and this to do and my, my argument back is well what why are you doing it oh because we've always done this <laughs> this is this is keep the business running and it's like no it's not why are you just stop just let's just stop doing it and, yeah. and, and reassess it right because really people right. do people People uh, people do just kind of, oh, no, I have to do this because that's the expectation. Well, what would happen if it stops doing it? How, it's like sending out a newsletter, right? You send out, send out a newsletter on email. How are you going to track that? How do you know it's successful? How do you know people are... You, don't, you might know people have opened it. You know, there's the open rate. There's the click-through rate. But how do you know you're really, really making impact? So it's finding ways to think about, number one, why are you doing it in the first place? If, yeah. if if you can't come up with a good answer to that, then stop doing it. Right. That's or nice. think about doing it different, right? And 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 that's that has been challenging the teams to think differently and, and move them from just PR people into thinking about 360 comms gives opportunity for people to grow as well, their own skill set. And and it's not just about the the skills. We also um we also talk more about capabilities within the team versus skill set. Like everyone, everyone, like everyone can learn to drive, but if you want to be a really, really good driver, you've got to invest time, money, time and energy into becoming a really good driver. And it's the same from a comms perspective, you know, whether that's business acumen. It's not just about delivering out the quarterly earnings. It's about having a true understanding of what the earnings mean and how that could how the earnings results could potentially change the strategy so having good business acumen but as a capability depending on you know where you are whether you're a, whether you're a junior comms person or you're a senior where you are 
there are expectations around our capabilities as well. Um, and, and that's, uh, I, I love the people piece. I, I love working with our talent. I, I love I love to grow people um, and I love to kind of, you know, lean in and, and pay it forward ultimately, which is, I think this is what helps us drive us to become the world-class comms organisation that we believe we are. And I suppose that that does help with people's motivations, doesn't it? Because if, you, if you're doing something that you believe in and you believe it's going to make a difference, um, you don't mind working at it a bit harder. You don't, you don't. And, and Intel has a very unique culture. You know, there, there are people, uh, I mean, I, I've been here nearly 15 years, um, but I'm, I'm working today with people. Uh, one, one of my team members has been at Intel for 35 years. 30 years of those has been within comms. There are other people that have been, I consider to be young people, that have been there their entire career. We invest, we, we continue to invest in internships. We have an internship um, uh, in the UK. So I've had an intern uh, every year for the last 15 years. They come in and do their 30-month industrial placement with us. They'll go back to uni, finish finish up, hopefully get there, get there first. And then our, our college graduate programme as well enables us to bring in you know, those people that shine back into the business, both within comms, marketing and all other parts of the business. Um, and, and that there are a lot of people um, across the org, but also in comms that have been with us since they were interns and have come back and stayed with us. Right. Um, so, yeah, through thick and thin, Intel has some kind of blue magic that that makes us makes us all want to stay longer yeah. than probably we expected um, to. I didn't expect to be here 15 years old, I can tell you. Yeah, that's, tell the you that. that's the thing with careers, isn't it? Um, yeah. Just, just you talked a lot about how the how, how you the breadth of work, the breadth of responsibility of comms teams has increased, and that's clearly a really good thing. Um, but you need more budget and resource to be able to do it, don't you? Is that I'm not necessarily asking about Intel, but is that do you get the feeling that that's happening as PR people like you are grabbing more responsibility? Are you getting the budget to to, to do it? I think to a degree. And I think that's another reason why we invested time and effort in measuring our success and being outcome driven, because making us making ourselves more accountable for the dollars that we are given and then generating the results that we're driving. It, it, it creates a belief in that actually with a little bit, you know, with a few more dollars, we could probably do a lot more. Yeah. So we have we have seen, you know, we, we have seen it, it's it's tight at the minute, you know, uh, for, for all comms folks of, uh, around the world that, you know, we have macroeconomics, which are kind of driving us around austerity measures still in in, in many, many places. Um, but we continue to, you know, we don't have a massive, frankly, we don't have a massive budget relative to, to some of our peers. Um, so you have to work with what you've got. But yeah, I would say there has been definitely an interest in increasing um, the budget because there's a better understanding of what we're doing. Sure. And I get, yeah, you're right. If you just sitting there saying, can I have more budget, please, is is not a particularly not, powerful comment, is it? It's no. like, well, this is what I've done with the budget last time. If you give me more, I can do this, is a little bit more of an interesting conversation for people to listen to. Yeah. And, and then also for us, because we're not accountable to one business unit, and Intel's made up of a lot of business units, you know, each BU has to kind of like a percentage of, uh, of the revenue comes into uh, uh, into marketing dollars or, uh, or PR dollars. Um, and because we have to tell that one Intel story. And that, that was a big change for us internally where we went from, okay, so we're getting dollars from 
the PC group. So therefore, all RPR has to be about PCs or we're getting dollars from the data center group. So that section has to all be all about data center. Having that what we call one Intel budget has enabled us to do so much more in the last three years than we've ever been able to do. Um, and, and, you know, being empowered, if you like, to, to, to tell that one Intel story that benefits all business units and not just one of them. Right. Um, we might touch on a few of the themes already, but what, what would you say the biggest challenges for senior in-house comms people right now? Um, you, you sort of top couple of challenges, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I think stakeholder management is key. Continuing to 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 show up in the right place and and be perceived as counsel counsel to uh, to to your your stakeholders, especially your senior counsel, uh, stakeholders. Um, I think that continues to be that continues to take up a lot of time. So therefore, the time is a massive barrier, right? I mentioned before the pace at which we work here is unlike anything I've seen elsewhere. So we're always fighting against time to tell our stories accurately at the moment that they matter because you're often dependent on others to be able to be a spokesperson or drive time to make sure there's accuracy, make sure it's passed by legal, et cetera. So time in terms of getting stuff to market, it, it, it continues to be a challenge. And resource, I've said it before, you know, uh, the in-house teams, are, we, we have to be nimble. We have to swarm. To where we need to be and i'd say that we are the definition of that so thinking about how we creatively bring in our agency partners to help us execute both internally but also externally you know with support around the, the messaging pieces also it, it also continues to challenge especially when you're running out of money and you put into context before what well, um Intel 120,000 employees. What was the size of your comms team? You know, just roughly um, globally, it was. It's it puts I it think, in context, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, we're point zero 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 two of the entire population, right? <laughs> so we are part of um, what's the, we are part of the sales, marketing, and communications group, and of, of that group, we make up less than just over two percent, right, of the entire org, right. Um, yeah, we're, finally, we're tiny. We're mighty but tiny, Ben. Yeah. We're mighty but tiny. But you have that agency support. But anyway, that, that's yeah. I, I, it's, really? it's interesting to um, to understand. You know, the relatively small um, size of the, the the global comms team compared to the rest of the organisation, which is you know is, is fair. Um, yeah. That internal comms for a moment for an organisation like yours. I mean, that's another area that, that, frankly, I suppose during COVID has has developed quite quickly, isn't it? But, but what are your, what, what do you find are the most successful forms of communications internally, uh, and which which sort of channels work? Because that's that's one that's changed quite a bit over the last few years, I think. Yeah, it has. So, um, so uh, our employee comms and employer brand team, and they're responsible for all of our comms to all one hundred twenty thousand odd people, um, as well as so, and that's about retaining, but also attracting talent to the business as well. So, so there, there's also there's some paid media which is done, especially in areas where we have a, a large factory, for example. So, uh, we, we do a lot of employer brand activity in Israel, uh, but also in Ireland locally to here. Um, we have our internal um, intranet, if you like, um, which has evolved considerably into a new platform, which enables folks to take curated internal storytelling external as well for social sharing 
so we own all of those channels. We have a couple of, um, we still have a, a Twitter handle, uh, the We Are Intel Twitter handle, which is owned by the comms team. Um, also our global newsroom, um, which has which has regional regional varieties within that, but overall, every, we we don't think of ourselves. There is sometimes local news, but local news tends to also not be local anymore. It tends to become global very very quickly. So, our uh, Intel newsroom uh, is key, and uh, we have a, a complete editorial board behind uh, the newsroom. We come together as a global team at least once a week to walk through the calendar to see what's upcoming. We hear from all the diff different experts and any any comms person in the organization can flag a news moment and then the editorial board then decide if that's a global news moment you should go on the global newsroom or the, whether it just stays internal uh stays on the regional or local newsroom um and employees see this as well so anything that we're putting out externally i think you know as a as a as an employee i'd like to know about the news before i read it in the headlines so so we try and address our internal audience before we address our external audience. Um, having said that, we do do a lot under NDA, as many do with analysts in particular, but also customers. And that customer storytelling, that analyst relations piece is also a critical part uh, of, of driving belief internally as well in our business transformation or in a particular news moment um, and also in our overall business strategy. So I, I don't think we can underestimate our internal comms and our or the importance of our employee comms i think it, it, it goes back to that full 360 piece you have to think about all audiences at the same time brilliant brian ashcroft senior director of amir communications at intel thank you so much for coming on the show thank you ben it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for listening to the pr moment podcast produced in association with the marketeers network If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.